Hello everyone, welcome to Step Left, a podcast about all things politically left, brought to you by Palo Alto High School's Anthem Magazine and KPLY. I'm your host, Michaela Sia. In this country, when I say the words gun owner, you're probably thinking about a specific type of person. Some from the South, maybe. Red state, red MAGA hat, a red-blooded Republican patriot. Maybe you think about the people who stormed the Capitol, far-right extremists who chant about the Constitution, or more specifically, their Second Amendment rights. For most people, the left has been banished from their minds. The left is supposed to be anti-gun, right? Not the Socialist Rifle Association, starting in 2013 with about 10,000 members now. The SRA advocates for self-defense and firearm safety education as well as mutual aid. With America's quote-unquote left, that being the Democratic Party, being mostly for gun control and with movements associated with the left such as March for Our Lives, it can be surprising to many to hear that gun ownership has been a left-wing idea for a long time now. It was indeed Karl Marx who said that under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered. Any attempt to disarm the workers must be frustrated by force if necessary. Here to speak more on this is the SRA's Mango, the National Design Director, Lucas, the National Communications Director, and Bryce, who is a National Assembly Representative. Thank you for coming on to my show. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Would you care to briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners? Okay, I'll go first. I am Mango. My pronouns are they, them. I am the National Design Director of the SRA, and I'm a longtime member of the SRA chapter in the Bay Area. Uh, and my name is Bryce. I'm uh, a, also a member of the Bay Area chapter of the SRA, and I'm our National Assembly representative. I am Lucas. My pronouns are they, them. I am a member of the Lane County um, chapter, that's the word, of the Socialist Rifle Association, and I'm also the Director of Communications. Thank you for that. Now, can you guys briefly tell me what exactly does the SRA do? A lot. Um we do a lot of mutual aid and, uh, and uh, firearms education. And, um, th- and those are some pretty broad areas. Yeah. Uh, but those are chiefly the main things we do. Um, okay. So the first thing I kind of want to get into is what happened on the 6th, which was the storming of the Capitol by like the fascists, um, et cetera. Do you guys think that what happened had any impact on the conversation about gun control on the left? No. I don't think so. I mean, a lot of us, I guess, in our, especially in our social circles and within the SRA, we kind of knew what was coming when the sixth happened. Um, And so, especially since like they've been posting about it for like the past four months. Like, yeah. Like, we're going to do this. Hey, everybody, please believe us. We're going to do this. And mm-hmm. like, and, you, you and like we're, we've been trying to like warn people. So it's just like our feelings or like our conversations haven't necessarily changed because of it. Um, they stay the same because the situation has always been the same. <laughs> that being that the fascists are not afraid of violence and um, the police are on their side. Right. Mm hmm. Many people in America would consider gun culture to be very conservative. Like, usually they think about, like, you know, rednecks in the South and stuff like that. Do you guys have any theories as of to why, or do you, or do you have any thoughts on that sentiment at all? I think that um, the NRA, the National Rifle Association, has politically and uh, societally kind of 
dominated the the space for gun culture and uh when when they started uh becoming a lot more political um it came out a lot it came with you know they aligned themselves with the conservatives um with that because in in the past the nra had been pro-gun control in, in a lot of uh situations um and when that when there was you know a lot of sh- uh, shuffling of their organization uh a while back that had them come out more as pro second amendment and they made the alignment there which that plus a lot of domination in the media about gun culture uh kind of kept it seen as a conservative uh, a conservative strong point i i do think one thing to add though might be uh that the most vocal part of the of gun culture is um i believe the the conservative uh, in my experience, plenty of people have guns and use guns, and most I have talked to wish to not consider themselves a gun person because of all the um, accoutrement that come with it. Yeah, or I guess with that in regard, I do have more to add. It's um, along with the culture, it's also an identity thing. I mean, Back to when Bryce was saying that the NRA had been pro-gun control in the past, one of those examples is the Black Panthers out here in California. Um, and so just the way that the vocal folks of the gun culture are, it makes folks like myself, who's not white, not cisgendered, um, and marginalized in a whole bunch of different ways, um, we're not comfortable being out as people who are armed because that sets a target on us. So we're here, we just can't, we're just struggling to build a community around who we are because of who dominates the culture of violence in our country. I uh, noticed that you guys mentioned the Black Panthers and I wanted to ask if, if you believe that if gun control were enacted now, how it would affect more marginalized communities over less marginalized. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of the um, the way gun control has been enacted is usually through heavy-handed processes and fines, which uh, impacts uh, people who are who are more poor, which in in the U.S. tends to be minority groups. Um, and so, you know, it's always adding fines. It's adding you know, taxes and administrative fees and a lot of like bureaucracy on top of that from, you know, guns like in California here. Um, and so it's not, uh, when, when uh, gun control is enacted, it's not the person who's, you know, making several hundred thousand a year who's actually impacted. You know, uh, they, they're able to buy the gun and absorb the cost. It's, it's the people who don't have that money. And so it very much impacts all marginalized groups just as a financial part. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, Basically, a lot of people on what is considered the left in America, which is mostly Democrats, but also like progressives and social Democrats and Democrat socialists are anti-gun because of the amount of gun violence in America. And they believe that being pro-gun control or being anti-gun is necessary to curb that violence. What do you have to say to those people? Uh, I would 
ask them what their solutions uh, do to curb the violence because a lot of the propositions focus on things that have no effect on their claims of uh, mass shootings. And that's partly because um, the way, in specifically the case of mass shootings, the way we measure them is completely nonsensical. Uh, a mass shooting, is, from what I understand, is uh, three people. And the majority of uh, gun crime happens with uh, pistols. There are no uh, common sense gun laws that are being proposed that curb pistols. There are no common sense gun laws that um, address domestic violence. And so it's just really hard for me to reckon between the reasoning and the solution. Um, and I really don't think that it is my problem to reckon that because I'm not the one proposing the solutions and citing uh, uh, data that is collected in a way to support an agenda. Um, So basically what I'm hearing you say is that the solutions being offered, such as the banning of bigger guns, such as AKs or something, instead of like pistols, and the lack of legislation addressing stuff such as domestic violence does not get at the root of the problem and will not curb the violence, correct? Uh, uh, correct. And as history has shown, uh, all of the implementations of gun control disproportionately affect marginalized communities. I mean, if we look back to Reagan's tenure as governor, like you see that gun control was to disadvantage uh, black communities it, expressly. It, uh, gun control is is racist. Uh, that I'll, I'll put a pin in it there. Lots of uh, liberals who are pro- gun control will say things or they'll point to other countries and say, oh, hey, look, Japan and Australia, they crack down on guns and now there's less gun violence. Uh, what would you say in response to that type of argument? I think that when you, uh, like, so they did crack down on guns and removed guns. I have seen some data that says that, yes, you know, they, they removed guns, so gun violence went down, but, uh, the violent crime hasn't well rather it's gone down in the same trend so the weapon of choice changed uh from guns to what was readily available uh however the other thing i point out is that i think the united states has a unique gun culture um then you know more so than those other those other countries because I won't say we're the only one because I don't know, but we're one of the few countries that has it, you know, enshrined as a as a right for individuals to bear arms. Um, and because of that, you know, it's become baked into identity 
uh, into into identities and ideologies here. Um, and so it's a lot more per pervasive here. There are more guns than people in the United States. Uh, so, you know, enacting it, enacting these laws are difficult. Enacting them is, is you know, ends up with flawed implementations, uh, like Lucas said. Um, and those styles of things, I don't think can really work here, you know, even if they were enacted perfectly be because of our unique culture uh, around guns. Um, and just how many how many there are. Um, I also think, well, this is my personal theory that because of America's distinct history of oppressing people of color and marginalizing them, that it would be significantly harder to pass gun control laws that would not um, negatively impact those like people of color, etc., more than um, like non-marginalized or white people. Uh, before we before we continue, I I would like to chime in on that last question. Um, uh, you can look at a lot of other countries with um, similar or even greater firearms availability. Uh, there are Scandinavian countries in which uh, you can just go out and get a, a fully automatic weapon. You can't do that in America. You you can't get anything that, as a civilian, anything that is um, newer than 1986, and that weapon has to be on a specific registry. Um, and there's a $200 tax stamp to transfer, and they are insanely expensive. Whereas you see um, Scandinavian countries without the same uh, crime rates, uh, where more capable weapons are present and prolific. Uh, so I think that um, if you just point to countries and say, oh, gun present, violence down, it's disingenuous because you can point to a country and say, oh, gun present, uh, gun not, or sorry, I'm getting it, I, I got it backwards, but can, uh, vice versa is also true, you know. Um, so that form of argument is uh, disingenuous because it ignores um the reality of the world, the, the different realities of different cultures. Right. So it would seem that the source of all of this like, violence may not actually be in the guns themselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, guns are just a tool like any other. If I wanted to go on a, a hammering spree, I could go on a hammering spree. The Socialist Rifle Association, I, I assume, is a left wing. So, um, as left-wingers, like, why would you say that having people be armed or having uh, access to arms is essential? Uh, I, I'll chime in on this one. Um, America can kind of be a scary place uh, to be. And when, the, when there's the other side of the political spectrum who, you know, like, like we saw on the sixth, stormed the Capitol armed, and that's the you know, and then the the police's reaction to that was just kind of bumbling around. Uh, it's and then compare that with what we saw in Portland during the, the Black Lives Matter protest, and, and all over the country with the police's reaction to those where people weren't really armed at all, and you know, most of them were peaceful. Uh, it's. It's pretty clear who the the powers to be are, you know, who who they're siding with, and with that kind of being, with with that being the reality, uh, having something 
to protect yourself and uh, arguably more, more importantly, your community, which is one of the big things about being in the SRA is the community that you get. Um, having the ability to protect yourself and be safe with the tools needed to protect yourself because we're not out advocating just to get one. You also need training and to be safe with it uh, is really, is, is really, it's an important tool and skill to have uh, amongst many others. Yeah. And in the SRA, um, it is just beyond firearms because our main goal is mutual aid, firearms education and community defense um, and at the end of the day, community defense can look like a whole bunch of different things, um, whether it is like owning a firearm to defend your home, but it's also growing food um, because food security is a means of defense and all sorts of other ways to build coalitions within our neighborhoods. Um, things like that is incredibly important, especially for marginalized folks, because the people who swore swear to protect us, both the police and in office, they don't fulfill their duty as far as listening and serving the people at the bottom. And the people at the bottom tend to be poor people and people of color. And um, so it's more, it's the purpose of the SRA, although it's very upfront about like how we stand um, with our firearms or how we how we stand in relation to firearms and uh, that we provide firearms education and our like specifically our chapter, we have people that are getting certified to instruct firearms to folks. Um, it's just kind of a supplement to what the main goal is to basically create a material form of self-determination for people that have been marginalized for centuries. Well, first of all, I want to say that it's really great that you guys are doing that. Um, I was having a discussion with my friend after what happened on the 6th and their pro-gun control. And they were saying that if it ever came a time where the left and the right or like the right would threaten the left with, um, with like, you know, firearms um it'd be better if there was less deaths on both sides like i feel like a lot of people who are pro gun control um put like human lives in general um as like a top priority which well generally like they see guns as a threat to this priority that they have um do you guys have some sort of like response to that yeah i got a personal dog in this race um Wanting to take away guns from non-police, non-military individuals, like completely uh, for the sake of um, curbing community violence, completely ignores the violence that police uh, force onto their communities. I have had three separate police draw down on me personally for just living in a poor community. For being poor, I've had three guns drawn on me, being in the wrong place at the wrong time walking by i could have died each of those three times i mean none of the liberal conversations about gun violence include disarming police so i just really don't want to have any sort of discussion or concession to be made unless you are really committing to the concept however ill-founded it may be 
of disarming communities because they're not actually committing to those concepts. I, I agree with that. Um, and I think a lot of the conversations that I've heard from uh, liberals and, and that kind of media where they're advocating for gun control, they're talking a lot about civilians on the right versus civilians on the left. And it, uh, a lot that is missed is the people in power who enact those things. So like we, like again, bringing up the police's response to Black Lives Matter protests all over the country and the response in DC to the storming of the Capitol, um, we saw we saw how they how they act. So how will further disarming people on the left help with any of that? Um, because the 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 state's ability to to uh, the state's monopoly on force is is not being questioned by liberals, and so they're just you know it seems like there's a large chunk of the of the issue that is being missed, and I don't you know, the cynic in me wants to say that it's on purpose and the, the um, optimist in me wants to say that, you know, they're not understanding the full issue. So I don't really know which one it is, but I think they're missing a huge chunk of, of where the force is coming from because a lot of the, the, the violence that is happening is not from a conservative walking into a liberal neighborhood with a gun, it's police doing it. And I do think that's kind of the main thing that distinguishes us on the left from liberals who many folks think are also on the left, but at the end of the day, it's a capitalist ideology, right? And so this tendency to miss these small details, um, whether it be policing, whether it be who's affected and what communities are being disproportionately affected by the certain things that they propose, um, they're simply band-aids. Um, a lot of folks who like to think that they're progressive but fall short, they propose these ideas that are simply band-aids because they don't consider um, the overall like big picture implications of what they're trying to propose on us, like taking away guns, uh, reinforcing policing in order to curb violence, everything that everyone has said. And there was a very interesting point that I came across recently in response to all that's going on is that in the States, and I'm sure elsewhere, is that people are very good at acute compassion to where people will quickly donate to nonprofits, they'll hop on board to support Black businesses, um, but that acute compassion stops and it never becomes a chronic empathy where they put in the work constantly. They do, they re-educate themselves. They unlearn within themselves. They decolonize their thinking. It's, that's the thing that's missing from the mainstream conversation considering these issues. Um, and that's just basically what sets, what sets us apart um, and gives us the knowledge and foundation that we need to achieve the goals that we have in the SRA. Along with that, the, the point I will, um... A point I want to bring up that was mentioned earlier is that, yeah, the SRA does a lot more than just firearms thing. I know, Mango, you said this before, but I kind of wanted to push the point um, because firearms are, are a tool. And so we do, you know, our the SRA's, you know, kind of marketing is about that. But a lot of the mutual aid and work that we do with uh, local non nonprofits and organizations is all part of like building a parallel power structure, uh, I think is the official term that I've heard 
so it's less, so it's less, um, so that way people don't need to rely as much on these, on these forces. I wanted to just say uh, before I moved on to uh, Lucas that uh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, that's sick and um, disgusting. And um, on that note, if would you guys advocate for the demilitarization of the police and more of a community-based defense? Absolutely. The there there's an entire federal program in place. I believe it's still in place that sells old military hardware to police. Um, as an anecdote. Uh, there's a, a small city, Redwood City, up, up the peninsula uh, where I used to work and I used to have a view of one of their police stations. Redwood City is pretty small and they had two uh, MRAPs, which are mine resistant uh, armored vehicles. And it was kind of wild to see a small police force have that kind of that kind of equipment rather stark for a, a you know, what's considered a very safe and small community. Um, and it's it just seems completely unnecessary and puts uh, puts police in the mindset that they are soldiers. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of data that backs this up saying that, you know, they feel like they're in a war zone, that they are an occupier of the area that they're patrolling and not a member of the community. Um, and that ends up with things like what we saw in, in Portland and, you know, seeing, seeing that happen, it, it kind of makes it makes it clear that they don't feel like they're part of that place and instead they're like overlords of it. Yeah, and uh, to grow on that, the um, the invention of professional policing rather than community policing uh, is what gave rise to individuals from physically outside of the community coming into a community and policing that community that they have no stake in. They have no concern for its health. They don't contribute to its taxes. They don't know the people there. Um, whereas community policing strategies uh, produce uh, officers that do know the people and have a vested interest in the community. And, and to touch on like MRAPs being present at police stations, or uh, it, it's nonsense. Like an MRAP is worse tactically than an up-armored SUV or an up-armored minivan. Uh, it gets worse gas mileage. It can go. It can't go uh, to the same amounts of through the same amounts of terrain. It tips weight e easier. Uh, it only serves to look mean and to push the screws down on the community. It, it's a psychological weapon to roll an MRAP through a community. Mm -hmm. And so I like just having all of these issues added up um, and I guess speaking for myself and I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of folks that are in the SRA is that our vision of disarming the police by and large means abolishing policing, abolishing the carceral system, because as it stands, if we just take away arms, they're going to figure out something else to mess us up. So to heck us um, over to heck us over. Yeah, I mean, we. Sorry to interrupt, but like we can look at um, move for that. They didn't use yeah. well, they did use, but they didn't only use um, uh, firearms there. They firebombed a city block. Sorry, I'll I'll let you continue. Oh no worries. I was pretty much wrapping up there. It's it's just like you know when we say disarm the police, deep, 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 deep down, we're calling for abolition. 
and some of us closer to the surface than others. Right. So we have defund the police, and I assume also defund the police. Um, what do you believe are some more legislational reforms or actions or anything that we can support or believe that can curb gun violence and just generally, you know, make the world a less violent place? Uh, I think there's something that that can be done, and it it sounds a little small, but it is something that that I've had to that I've had to deal with. So again, this is a bit anecdotal, but. Um, there's quite a large stigma around mental health, and uh, one of the largest um, group of victims for gun violence are are those who who feel they need to take their own lives. And uh, so, having you know, working to destigmatize health uh, and and people who are struggling with with those kinds of things, uh, especially amongst friend groups, um, is really important uh, for for me. Uh, dealing with some of those issues. I, I am a firearm owner and being able to hand over the things that were dangerous uh, in that time to a trusted friend uh, allowed, allowed that, that harm to be, um, to be mitigated. So, so it was a lot, a lot less, uh, a lot less likely to happen and just making it less, making, you know, mental health less shameful, having, you know, being able to seek help for that, uh, for anything that you might be struggling with. And uh, literally building dual power structures. Uh, I mean, that is one that uh, that community um, building is like a parallel structure to the mental health field that we have, uh, which is its own power structure, um, a parallel power structure to um, uh, policing and crime prevention uh, is uh, community defense. and. Uh, that does also roll into community defense, what you were just talking about, Bryce. But um, an example here uh, might be um, spending time with someone who is being, who is the victim of bias crime. Um, I recall a situation where, uh, I can't talk about too many of the details because this is personal information, but an individual is being harassed continuously um, and it, the harassment included a firearm, um, and it was a bias motivated crime. Police got involved with perpetuating that crime and the harassment. Um, so some members of a community defense organization helped this person move out of their current place, which was contributing to them being harassed and got them into a new place. And they were with this individual throughout the whole ordeal and um, nothing, no, no physical effects came from it. Um, so, I mean, there are solutions that aren't cops, especially when cops are exacerbating the problems. Yeah. And reinforcing just the aspect that communities need to be empowered and care for each other is that the biggest hurdle that we have to face as in the United States is this culture of individualism that we value so much is that we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or we're only really out for ourselves and we forget that it, we are social beings and we always have relied on other people 
for our well-being. And that's just kind of how the economy has shaped our society, right? Where um, things were being produced in surplus and folks didn't need to focus on growing or hunting things to sustain themselves. So they went to do other jobs and in turn people stop learning how to sustain themselves we have to rely on other people to sustain ourselves and then this whole process of turning everything into commodities has started to really disconnect people from where we get our sustenance from each other and whose labor it comes from um so just to strengthen and reiterate this idea of community defense that we're trying to i guess re incorporate um, into our communities is the main deal about what can be done to curb violence and I guess gun violence in the United States is taking care of each other because it's a lot of violence that happens happens because people are struggling to like have their ends meet you know they, um, ugh, I'm losing my train of thought here, but at the end of the day, people who turn to violence are missing something that we're not providing them as a society. Yeah, I like totally agree with you guys on like this individualism thing. Like personally, I see like individualism as kind of a disease, especially with like these mass protests. They're like literally a disease. Um, so like, do you guys have anything more to say like on individualism or like theories relating to individualism? So, uh, Book Chin, just a brief history, he is the founder of this thing called the Institute of Social Ecology. And the um, Institute of Social Ecology is this group of amazing people that are studying um, basically how our society functions in an ecological manner, if that makes sense. Um, because Bookchin is an anarchist thinker and anarchists do reject hierarchy. So they're introducing this method of thinking in reimagining what the human's position is in relation to everything around us. Um, so the idea of Googling Marie Bookchin and his anarchist thinking and in social ecology is uh, reinforcing the fact that our world operates in, on reciprocity. And to link back to what I was saying about individualism and that how it's a prominent issue in the United States that is leading to everything that is exploding right now is because we have been disconnected and we believe that we are in for like everything that we need to do is for ourselves. And um, we fail to understand that everything in life reciprocates from each other and we have to give back as much as we take um and so that is just like <laughs> the thing that I personally really want people to start understanding because I feel that that is the basic knowledge or that is the basic I guess idea for people to be more empathetic and really think hard about what changes can be done to make a lasting impact on our communities. I want to I want to just communicate that the Socialist Rifle Association does not advocate one tendency or ideology over another. Yes, thank you for that. Point, that is point of clarification. Non-sectarian, that's a very yeah. important thing. 
Yay, left unity, I guess. So um, is there anything you guys would like to add or anything you want to say? So in the Bay Area, we have a very large chapter. Um, and before pandemic, we were incredibly active. We would have fundraisers. We um, would rate, fundraise for not only tools for building our own um I guess, training network within the chapter of like firearms defense, or community defense or whatever it is, but also we have fundraised to get masks out to the unhoused communities during fire season. Um, what else have we done? We reach out to other organizations around the Bay Area who need um, support, whether it be distributing food or training them, because um, we have a lot of folks who are um, trained in as like medics. So those sorts of, um, that sort of knowledge transfer is happening as well. Um, and what else has, what else have we done? We had a pride booth. That was super fun. We have little social gatherings. Um, uh, yeah, we, some of the other, um, project, well, we do have some other training type things that are in the works, like, uh, training people on how to get licensed and use radios um, for communication, which is really fun. So um, like we've said here a bunch of times, you know, it's not all about the guns. Uh, so definitely having, you know, to teach people some of those. And we also do uh, a teach and, you know, we, we do a lot of um, knowledge sharing around uh, other hobbies and things like uh, the camping and, and those kinds of skills um, you know, being being out in nature and things like that. So a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff goes on too. Yeah, and um, for at least on our side of the states, on the west coast, our chapter has this, um, is responsible for a trailer um, that is part of this offshoot of the SRA, which is a mutual aid program called SRA. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so. Uh, that is just another thing that's in our wheelhouse as a chapter, because um, right now it's being suited up, refurbished, but there are many plans to have it stocked up with supplies that may be needed during, in the event of a natural disaster. Um, so we are really gearing up and preparing ourselves to be able to serve our communities when bleep hits the fan, you know? Yeah, we seem to experience natural disasters uh, about at the very least, uh, once a year, the very least. So let's say hypothetically somebody will want to join. How would they go about doing it? Go to socialistra.org and uh, click on the membership button. Yeah, and if you have any prior questions, do there is on the socialistra.org website, there is a little chapters tab there where you can see what your nearest chapter is and hit them up on social media just to get a feel if you don't want to commit just yet. Um, we do have plenty of people that hit us up on Twitter to ask us what we're all about and we're super happy to fill you in. Um, is there any type of social media you guys want to plug either your own or something related to SRA? Like, so yeah, follow, uh, follow me on live journal oh <laughs> follow me on tumblr no um so the chapter if you're in the bay area hello palo alto high school um our chapter twitter is bay area sra um we do also have an instagram with the same handle but it's a little bit inactive um 
yeah and just hit it up hit us up from there luke you want to talk about national stuff um i mean yeah we have a we have a twitter um at socialist ra i believe is the handle uh we have a i just i just wrote all these down in a document today for our newsletter and i'm i'm blanking on i'm blanking on the urls the earls but uh we're on we're on all the things just just uh look us up uh when you're done googling murray book chain google socials rifle association you'll find us okay well thank you guys for coming it was really nice to have talked to you guys have a good one yes thank you